by stimulating intellectual conversation? Are you turned on by the idea of engaging with thought leaders from across the United States? Do you go gaga over exploring important ideas from influential books, research, and essays? Then welcome to Curiosity Porn, the place you can satisfy all those intellectual urges guilt-free. Your hosts are Dr. Guy Crane, Professor of Philosophy at Rose State College, and Professor James Davenport, Professor of Political Science at Rose State College. However, the views expressed here are solely the views of the hosts and their guests and do not reflect the views of Rose State College, its administration, faculty, or students. And now, here are James and Guy. Good morning, Dr. Crane. Good morning, Professor Davenport. How are you doing today? I'm making it. Uh, I'm learning that being north of 40 is not super great. I'd give it two out of five stars. Would not recommend. Uh, seems like bits of me just break down these days, but I'll make it. I, I can uh, understand completely. Uh, I'm very excited. We have a, a guest that we both have read uh, a couple of his books and uh, are very excited to have Dr. Sam Perry from the University of Oklahoma with us today. We're going to be talking about uh, a couple of his books and uh, and have, a, I think, a really, really interesting conversation. So why don't you tell a little bit about uh, Dr. Perry, our guest? Yeah, just briefly, uh, Samuel Perry is a professor of sociology at the University of Oklahoma, He's the author of dozens of scholarly articles. By the way, yes, uh, Dr. Perry, I looked at your CV, and I mean, that thing is a CVS receipt. That was so long, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Uh, dozens of scholarly articles and books, uh, including the two we're interested in today, Taking, back, uh, Taking America, back for, America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States, which he co-authored with Andrew Whitehead, and then The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism, and The Threat to American Democracy, which he co-authored with uh, Philip Gorski. Dr. Perry, welcome to Curiosity Porn. Hey, uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we jump into uh, talking about uh, the material in the, in the two books specifically, just I'd like to know a little bit. I always am curious when I talk to, to other folks in academia, how did you get into to this line of work? What prompted you, number one, to think, hey, this is where I want to be? And number two, what was it about the field of sociology that attracted you? Yeah, so I um, that's a good question. I came from an interracial family. I grew up in an evangelical household with adopted sisters who were African-American. And uh, I think, uh, so dating back as long as I can remember, we were having conversations as a family about race, racial identity, and the various kind of dynamics that we experienced as a family. And, and uh, I think that gave me something of like, a, uh, you might call it a proto-sociological like sense for issues of, of racial prejudice and inequality and, and uh, why, uh, why our family was unique in some ways and what made them unique and the experiences that my sisters were encountering. Um, so I got to college and, uh, I was interested in religion. I was interested in race. I was interested in all these questions and sociology was really one of these subjects that I backed into. Like most people back into sociology, very few people go to college thinking I'm going to become a sociologist one day. Um, even my own kids don't, don't think that. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, you know, I got, I got into sociology though in, in, in college and, uh, I just said, this is the, the discipline that is, is asking the kinds of questions that I've always been asking. Um, it wasn't until though after seminary. So I went to seminary after college, um, to be a pastor and halfway through, I realized I, uh, was far more into research and writing 
I, I, maybe not into, I was, I was more cut out, uh, by gifting to, to, uh, to get into research and writing than I was pastoring. And so I was really fortunate to get into the university of Chicago eventually, uh, to, to do my PhD. And, uh, and that's where I, that's where I've been. And, and in, incidentally, I, I studied the very things that got me interested. I, for my dissertation, I worked on evangelicals and adoption and, uh, and issues of, of race and, and related to that. And since then I've, I've moved on to my, 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 uh, my research interests, but that's what got me involved. Yeah. I think, uh, that, that background coming from an uh, evangelical background, I do the same. And so, uh, much of some, and we'll get into this, I'm sure here in a little bit, but some of the description you did in your book, uh, detailing going to some services, uh, kind of some patriotic, I was like, man, that is straight out of my childhood. You know, I, I really, really identified with those things. So, uh, and I think it's interesting that that, that experience seemed to inform kind of what you were interested in researching and what you wanted to, to know about the world. So that's, that's uh, pretty, pretty interesting right there, how uh, our life experiences often guide us to what we want to investigate more about as, as we move through life. So that was really creepy because I did not know James wanted to ask you about that until literally this morning. And you almost just gave my biography as well, minus the sisters, like, uh, <laughs> went to seminary, tried to do the pastor route, completely was terrible at it. Uh, went for academia. Again, uh, do you mind me asking what uh, specific tradition you grew up in denominationally? Sure. Um, uh, just kind of, uh, general evangelical. I mean, I think we, we grew up, uh, bouncing around a, a lot of different churches. My dad went to Dallas seminary. So we grew up going to Bible churches in Texas and I, I ended up going to Dallas seminary as well. Um, though I, I, in college, I was in a PCA Presbyterian. I knew it. Uh, church. I knew it. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so, so I'm very familiar with like, I'm very familiar with like reformed background. I would consider myself even today. I mean, like I, I talk about growing up in evangelical, I'm still, I'm still in evangelical spaces. So I don't mean to act like I'm somehow walked away from, from a lot of that. I think, uh, I'm pretty far afield politically from where most evangelicals end up being. But as far as my community and the people, my family, my friends, uh, are still very much that. Uh, space and and so I would consider myself, uh, you know, still more familiar with the Reformed uh, tradition. Though I've been in Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches all over. I told James I, that had to be true because in your book, you, I, well, I, of course, I didn't know if it was you or if it was one of your co-authors, but you name drop Cornelius Van Teel, and I'm like, oh, you got to be deep in the niche to know who that is. <laughs> oh, that would that would be me. Yeah, would be I was me. never a reformed guy, but I, there was a time where I was reading all those presuppositionalist stuff and uh, and got into some of that stuff. That's right. Well, all right. You want to? Yeah. So uh, you want me to jump off? Go on? for it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the two books that we're exploring today deal with this this concept of Christian nationalism. And so I think what we'd like you to do first is just uh, tell us how you define Christian nationalism and uh, what got you into interested in researching that specific topic? Sure. Uh, so we, it, it's first, I'll, I'll just say, thanks for uh, pressing me to define it. Cause I think it's really important that we, as this, as the very label itself becomes more, more uh, popular. And when I say popular, I just mean like popular in use, not like Christian nationalism is, is statistically becoming more popular. But I, uh, I think as we, as, as the concept itself takes off and people are using it more often, um, it, it is, it, it loses its meaning and becomes, uh, it can become everything from, from, uh, something that people are claiming as an identity, which we're seeing 
uh, to a slur that people use to, to just uh, uh, slam down conservative Christians getting involved in politics. We've never intended it for, to be that. We've always tried to define it carefully whenever we can. So in our books, we really define it in a couple of, of, of different ways, and that's not to be evasive. We try to, we, we try to use the term to describe in our books an ideology uh, that in, in, in Taking America Back for God, we call it an ideology that idealizes and advocates uh, a fusion of American civic life with a very particular kind of Christianity. Um, and in The Flag and the Cross, we nuance that a little bit. And we, 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 we talk about Christian nationalism as both a deep story about America's past and a vision for its future. Uh, and and I, I think those two, two ideas are capturing the same thing. But I would, I would, I would explain that as, as Christian nationalism um, – uh, Christian nationalism can be talked about in at least three different registers. What I've just described is really the ideology of Christian nationalism, but Christian nationalism can be an identity. We're, we're seeing more and more people call themselves Christian nationalists, like Marjorie Taylor Greene talked about how the, the, I'm a proud Christian nationalist. She, she sold T-shirts about being a proud Christian nationalist and said the Republican Party ought to be the party of Christian nationalism. And we see a movement among the Christian right to really claim that label. People are writing books talking about why you should be a Christian nationalist. Um, so it's an ideology, it's an identity, but it's also, I think, as Trump demonstrated, um, it's a political strategy as well to try to, to try to appeal to both audiences, those, those who identify with the term, but also those who embrace the ideology. And, and it doesn't require that you believe any of that. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if Trump believes anything at all, other than just kind of what, whatever, you know, whatever means success to him or winning. Um, but he's able to use that kind of rhetoric to appeal to that audience. So it's also a political strategy in that, in that, in that right. That interests me. And we're going to have a whole bunch of, 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 of conversations, I'm sure today, but it, it just your your two books were the first two that I've read that actually try to give some description to this moniker Christian nationalism. And what does it mean? What do uh, people who who believe in this way? What do they think? What are they What do they want to accomplish? Uh, and so I thought it was it was very clarifying for me to to go through that. I'm wondering, though, as often happens. Some of this, uh, uh, people coming out now saying, yes, we are Christian. Uh, do you feel like, wait a second, that's not, I wasn't trying to promote this necessarily. Uh, or uh, do, you, do you feel like that in some way people have taken this moniker uh, and just ran with it without actually exploring it a little bit more deeply? Sure. I, I, I mean, I think what we, what we are seeing, the people who are embracing the label, um, that has really been more of like a, a basket of deplorables kind of move. Uh, you remember from the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton calls, you know, Trump followers a basket of deplorables and they embrace it and they kind of like start to mobilize around it. Like, wow, we're the deplorables. And I think that is the intent of, of the group of people that it, like from Marjorie Taylor Greene to the other people on the Christian right who are writing books, they're really, they actually are saying this. They're saying like, you know, if they're going to criticize us for embracing what we feel like are, what they would feel like is standard Protestant political thought uh, in their view, we should just embrace the label and then take somehow take the power out of it. <laughs> though, though that in, in my opinion is 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 not a good strategy because I think the people who are embracing the label um, are are really the exact. If if I were a person and I am, I, I would consider myself somebody who is not only a scholar of this topic but somebody who is deeply concerned about it, both as a Christian myself but also somebody who values liberal democracy and thinks that's important. 
I think Christian nationalism is super problematic, and 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 I am I am in fact glad for the people who are embracing the the identity, because they happen to be people who embrace the very things that we would describe as like the 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 negative the negative correlates of this kind of thing. So, for example, the people who are writing books about like why Christians should be Christian nationalists, these people are, you know will commonly tweet things on social media about why the 19th Amendment should be revoked. That's the, the, the amendment that gave women the right to vote or why, uh, why interracial marriage is sinful or, 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 they, or they will say blatantly anti-Semitic things, right? Like it, 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 I could not script it better uh, as somebody who, who is concerned about the ideology that, that the people who would identify with it are the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world and not people that are living lives of kind of uh, Christian integrity and, and, uh, and winsomeness, right? Like I think it's... it's uh, so all that to say, um, yeah, we didn't intend for people to embrace the label, though. I would say I, I am if, if, if I tell a white supremacist that what he's doing is white supremacy and he says, I'm well, because you said that uh, I'm going to do white supremacy even harder now. Uh, you know, I, I've got to take that and, 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 and understand that it's like, well, it, you know, I, you can embrace that if you if you would like. But I still feel like I'll have to, to call that out for what it is. Sure. So um, between the two books that you've written, you mentioned the survey items that you, you used from the, the Baylor surveys to measure levels of Christian nationalism. I noticed, though, that the items differ between the two books. Could you talk about what the survey items are and why, they, why, why you went with two different lists between the books? Yeah, so, uh, so between this, uh, the first and the second book, we really just added a question. It was, it was a question about the founding documents. We wanted to, to add a little bit more nuance uh, to that, that second uh, one, just to get a little bit about the deep story, what, I, what we were talking about in that second book. Uh, the, this connection about, uh, the, the second question was, um, well, let me go with the first ones, and then I'll, I'll talk about what we added. Uh, the first one was a series of questions that we did not come up with. This was found data. This is uh, Paul Freus, who was at Baylor, started asking questions like this in the mid-aughts. So in 20, 2005, 2007, we, for various reasons, replicated those in the Baylor in the 2017 survey. And I'll talk about why in a second. But those questions had to, had to do with, uh, we asked Americans to indicate their level of agreement with statements like the federal government should declare the United States a Christian nation. The federal government should advocate Christian values. Uh, they should uh, enforce a separation of church and state. We reverse code that so that we're looking at people who disagree with that statement. They don't want a separation of church and state. A uh, question about prayer in public schools and religious symbols in public spaces and, and um, God's plan, uh, America's uh, America being tied with God's plan or America's success being part of God's plan. And so in the second book, we added a question about uh, whether somebody felt the founding documents like the Declaration and the Constitution were divinely inspired. And so what we do is we try to we try to capture Christian nationalism, not as an either or category. We don't like going around. I don't like call people Christian nationalists. I think that's kind of ugly. And I think that's a conversation stopper. I try to, what I try to do is I try to emphasize that this is an ideology that people can exist on on a spectrum, all the way from people who strongly reject it, all the way to, to people who are what, what we call the true believers. And so we wanted to add a question that asked about whether people thought the founding documents were divinely inspired to get a, a sense of like how they felt like America and Christianity were, were historically connected. But honestly, since even since then, um, the last... We have we have since changed the survey items again uh, to try to capture what we feel like is just a more direct indicator of Christian nationalism for various reasons. So so 
let me let me say we didn't come up with the original questions, even though I think they worked. Like we, I think we've seen so many studies that have come out, peer-reviewed studies again and again, and I, I review them every month and and I see them published every month. They use the same measures and they come up with the very same results. And so I'm confident that those measures are just fine. But we wanted to be a little bit more explicit. So now I ask questions. Uh, we have a series of questions that we ask in our surveys that we just distributed the last few months that ask Americans how much they agree with statements like um, uh, being a Christian is an important aspect of being truly American or that uh, the nation's laws should be founded upon the Bible or that Christians have an obligation to take dominion over America's educational, media, and uh, cultural institutions, those kinds of things. So we want to get really explicit <laughs> so that people don't have any mistake about like what we're implying by these questions. And, but that's a part of science. So like, I, I love having these questions about measurement because, you know, we, we are always, as social scientists, we're always trying to, to get at what are the better ways to measure the various constructs that we think exist out there. And so we're trying to capture those things. We're trying to get like, okay, what percentage of Americans really affirm those kinds of measures? How can we see this going across surveys? How can we see it change? And uh, even though some measures might be imperfect, um, you know, we make choices about what to repeat so that we can see continuity over time, like we did with the Baylor religion surveys. So in 2017, we asked those same questions. And we, we knew that like, hey, maybe some of those questions we would like to retire, um, but that wasn't because they were necessarily bad questions, just because we, we thought we could ask better ones. Uh, now, between uh, in the two books, you you make the, the case that uh, Christian nationalism is something really completely different from religiosity uh, and uh, saying that they differ in, in, in important ways. Can you kind of unpack that? What, 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 do, what is the difference between what people might think of when they first hear that that phrase, Christian nationalism, and then what, 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 what might be going on differing there from what someone might see as an a, a, a adherence to a cr true Christian faith in some way, shape, or form. Right, sure. Um, yeah, so let me, uh, that has been a part of our kind of research that we've, we've had to clarify again and again, because I think people, people like, like me, who, 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 um, I am not somebody who is like, um, left my Christian faith or left my church or deconstructed, whatever that means in any kind of significant way. I feel like I, I, I feel like I actually grew up with really good models of what, what church life was like. I had good parents who were evangelicals in the best sense of that, that word. So whatever I write is not some kind of like, is not a reaction to some kind of embitterment that I feel about like the church or, or some, or some kind of, uh, or some kind of, you know, I've never been burned by any kind of faith community or, or that, that kind of thing. Um, in other words, I've seen religious commitment that does not look like Christian nationalism. And I know that those two things can be different things, even though, and I will say this, oftentimes we see religiosity, how often somebody prays, reads their sacred scriptures, attends church. We often see that as positively associated with Christian nationalism because the people who are in church a lot and, and are hearing those kinds of messages are often the people who are embracing Christian national ideology. That's unfortunate, but the two things are not the same. And I'll talk about how they're different. One example of how they're different um, is, is religious commitment as we measure it often is powerfully correlated with how people behave in their moral life. So if somebody goes to church, prays a lot, reads their sacred scriptures, often we find that they are they're behaving as a family member or, or, or in some ways that are, they're, they're less likely to say, look at pornography. They're less likely to get a divorce, that kind of thing. 
Um, interestingly enough, though, Christian nationalism is not correlated with those things. Uh, Christian nationalism is a more about a vision for how society should be structured. And it usually means in ways that privilege one group over the other group. So it's, it's hierarchies, it's boundaries, it's order. Um, so, but w- when we look at, say, whether or not Christian nationalism predicts whether or not somebody looks at porn, uh, it does not. It does. It's not. It's not statistically associated. Or, or whether or not somebody gets a divorce themselves, it's not. Uh, somebody who subscribes to Christian nationalism no more or less likely their marriages are no more happier. Are no more happy. They're they're uh, they're. In other words, their actual practice in life is not any different as a result of embracing Christian nationalism. That's why it's more of a political ideology. It's more of a vision for how society should be ordered. Whereas religious commitment, I think, changes people's lives in, in really meaningful ways. It doesn't necessarily make, sometimes it makes you more pro-social, as we talk about in, in our book, Taking America Back for God. Oftentimes we find that religious commitment seems to make you a more pro-social person, to make you the kind of neighbor that people would want to have around. Christian nationalism, uh, I don't think anybody would confuse it with with making people the kind of neighbor that they would want to have around uh, as, uh, you know, in embracing the, the kinds of views that we see it associated with. So I think there's, there's pretty, pretty important distinctions between religious commitment and Christian nationalism in that, in that regard. You write that Christian nationalists, on, on, on the tail of that, they aren't in, as interested in piety as they are in power. Um, could you just say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I, I think uh, Christian nationalism is ultimately about winners and losers, and it's about uh, power and authority and order, and and so it, it really isn't about. This is why Christian nationalism we found in our in our first kind of big study on this, the one that really I think put uh, this topic on the map before the books came out. We found just after the 2016 election, we collected survey data, like really a couple of months after the 2016 election, and we asked Americans why they voted for Trump, or we asked we asked various questions, and we asked you know we had a, a question about vote. And we found that Christian nationalism, along with like Islamophobia, uh, was was basically those were the one and two strongest ideological predictors that you would vote for Donald Trump. And it, it was not being an evangelical Christian. It wasn't how religious you were. Uh, it was Christian nationalism. So it, it, it and, and so the very fact that Christian nationalism is so powerfully connected to a leader like Trump with all of his. Uh, all of his shortcomings and all of the things that he's said and done, I think it's a pretty good indicator that it really isn't about personal piety at all. It's about allegiance to the group, right? It's about winners and losers. It's about power. Um, and we have found that again and again. In, in our second book, The Flag and the Cross, or the, the my second book on Christian nationalism, The Flag and the Cross, we find that Christian nationalism is strongly associated with with support for various ways of kind of controlling problem populations by authoritarian means, right? So uh, torture, capital punishment, uh, any means necessary, policing, um, you know, uh, uh, basically the use of the use of violence when necessary, righteous violence, uh, because that's what it's ultimately about. It's about controlling uh, society in a way that you can um, you can make sure that it that that certain values are represented, your values, your culture and your authority uh, are protected in that way. It's not about uh, how often somebody prays or, 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 or whether or not people love Jesus at the end of the day. Yeah. It's so interesting. You say that. I, I mean, uh, can you just say a bit more about that? Cause you, you, you draw interesting connections between 
Christian nationalism and just violence more broadly, the, the approval, the use, even guns, isn't, didn't you find some of these things? Yes, exactly. Right. So I think, yeah. So in, in a variety of different studies, we find that Christian nationalism, um, and I'll mention one of the things in the book, we, we find that Christian nationalism is the leading predictor by a mile, uh, that somebody would say the best way to stop bad guys with guns or good guys with guns, right? Like that's the idea of righteous violence. But here's, here's one that didn't make it into the book that we've published subsequently. So with my co-authors and I, we, we published a peer reviewed article recently where we just asked Americans in one of our surveys to, to, we gave them the bill of rights and we just said, which one is the most important, right? Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, Second Amendment, right, you know, uh, unlawful searches and seizures, you know, states, right, all those kinds of things. And you would think, or freedom of the press, all that. And and you would think that the more somebody subscribes to Christian nationalism, the more they would say uh, freedom of religion is the most important right. That wasn't the case. The more somebody subscribes to Christian nationalism, uh, the most important right is gun rights. Uh, and, 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 and the ones that go down, uh, the one that goes down a lot is freedom of the press, uh, or, or sorry, yeah, freedom of the press and freedom of speech. So freedom of speech and freedom of the press go down as you subscribe to Christian nationalism, uh, religious freedom, but also gun rights, they go up. Uh, and what that means is, is it, it's about, you know, it's not about religious liberty. It's not about liberty. It's certainly not freedom of the press. It's certainly not about freedom of speech. It is about, uh, even at the cost of those things, it's about uh, it is about freedom for our group, not yours, and it's about freedom of our group to protect what we think is ours. That's the gun rights part of that, and so uh, that is what we mean. Like Christian nationalism is ultimately about preserving order and power by violence, if necessary. And these are the same kinds of connections historically that I think authors like Kristen May have pointed out. Why why does Christian nationalism seem to to appeal so much to the militantly masculine? Uh, group, right? Like that, that feels like, Hey, we're tired of getting pushed around by these cultural bullies. We're ready to punch somebody. We're ready to go take the Capitol. Like January 6th is this kind of like emblematic event where you've got uh, people who say, you know what, why don't we just, why don't we just take it? Like, we feel like we're being wronged. We feel like this is something that we, you know, we're just going to, um, you know, um, Thank you know that I mean the prayer of the uh, QAnon shaman in the Senate chamber is such a is such a indicative uh, kind of collection of statements where he talks he, he thanks Heavenly Father for filling the 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 the, the chamber with patriots who love who love uh, who love Jesus and uh, and that America has been reborn that day and that, that that with God's help they are stopping all the communists and tyrants and the globalists who are who are trying to take and ruin the country. And, and that's what it's about, right? Like it's a, it is about Christian nationalism as an ideology is really about taking aback what you feel like is being stolen from you wrongfully, that it is rightfully yours and they have no right to it. And so you've got to, you've got to take it back, which is why I think we, we titled the second book, right? Flag in the cross, white Christian nationalism and the threat to democracy, because ultimately that's what it is like this, that like this, this group of folks who subscribe to this vision, vision do not value uh, democracy in that way. I'll, I'll just give you guys an example. I'm looking at, uh, so as I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm, I, I write every day and I'm, I'm always working on different projects. As you mentioned, the CV, this is just something that I do and I love doing. Uh, we collected data recently and we asked Americans uh, whether they would support leaders violating democratic norms during national emergencies in order to take control. And so we asked them whether or not they would, they would support leaders 
um, suppressing, uh, uh, suspending elections in order to, uh, to, to, to take the country through a crisis or, or to suppress political opponents who are causing problems in order to lead the country or to, 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 uh, to disregard checks and balances, <laughs> you know, all those kinds of things. And lo and behold, I could show, I mean, I could turn my computer around and you guys can see it. Like Christian nationalism is again, by a mile, the leading predictor that Americans would support somebody violating democratic norms in order to take control and lead our country to safety. And, and I, I think that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's a, it is a, it is an ideology that is trouble, troubling as a Christian, because I feel like it, it twists and distorts what I feel like it's a, the faith of, of self-sacrifice and generosity is something that is, is, is not embodied in Christian nationalist ideals. But it is troubling as an American because I feel like it is not about preserving our creedal values of uh, full legal equality uh, and uh, elected representation. It is about in establishing a rule that will never be overthrown. And that is the, the goal of a lot of these folks. That's so interesting. You said that. I I I was wondering if you um if you had heard or or were aware of Russell Moore giving an interview on NPR where he was he was sort of uh, mourning the fact that he was getting reports from some uh, Baptist ministers about how like they can't even just read the Sermon on the Mount aloud in church because like they have congregants come up and say like oh those are just liberal talking points and even when the pastor's like, I'm literally quoting Jesus. They're like, yeah, well, you can't read that. That's weak stuff. We don't believe that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think that's, yeah, when Jesus is too woke for your, for your movement, uh, that is, that is, that is a bad sign. And yet this is, this is exactly the kind of like Christian nationalism. I mean, I think people have, I've, I've given a series of, uh, I've given a talk before on kind of like how Christian nationalists use the Bible. Um, and, and to be honest, it's not a very long talk because it doesn't need to be like, they don't use the Bible a lot. And, and what they do, it's, it usually ends up being, it, it ends up being cl Jesus clearing the money changers from the temple because they, they want to find some kind of reference, reference point in Jesus for being violent to people. Uh, and then it's Romans 13, when your side is in power, um, about like, you know, submitting to the governing authorities and those, and those kinds of things. And maybe some references about bringing a sword and something in revelation, maybe some prophecy, or it is going to be old Testament. Like we talk about in the flag and the cross, it's going to be old Testament passages where, where Israel is, is commanded to go into Canaan and, and to start cleaning house, right? Like it's a start, you know, uh, and, and, uh, establishing some kind of a, a law, right? So, um, you know, are, are you telling, are you telling me we can't just mandate, uh, God, worship of God. Well, Israel did it. If it was good enough for Israel, why can't we just do that? You, you know, and, and these folks, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of half joking, but some of these authors are not apologetic about their, their enthusiasm for say like blasphemy laws, uh, for Sabbath laws, for, for laws that would prevent non-Christians from ever holding public office because they have no right to hold public office in a Christian nation. I mean, these are, they are that explicit about this. I don't think that's where most Christian nationalists are, but the people who are writing books are very much so of that opinion. And so, I, I mean, um, it is it is not something that I think would ever be confused with Christ likeness, and unless you feel like uh, uh, Christ is a is a is right now the conquering king who's ready to kick butt and take names and take back a country uh, for for his you know current reign right now. You know, this is reminds me of some conversations I have with my sisters from time to time. As I mentioned, we grew up in, in what could only be described as a religious right household. At the time, that was the, the vernacular, right? The religious right. 
and I very much remember, you know, when the Clinton Lewinsky scandal occurred and all of the, these folks in, the, in the, these religious backgrounds, very conservative folks were like uh, just outraged that the president of the United States would defile the office uh, in, in that manner. Right. And then fast forward to 2016 and you have uh, a candidate for for president who basically is bragging about committing sexual assault, who has clearly have been unfaithful to uh, his wives, this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, those very same people who, you know, a few years back were up in arms about this kind of behavior now are working double time, it seems, to justify that, right, and, and to diminish the significance of it. And it always seemed to me uh, that, the, and maybe you can uh, illuminate uh, some of this, it always seemed to me that what was happening here was, uh, at least by some of those people who are held up as religious leaders of that uh, in, in that vein, uh, we're making a conscious choice. We're going to sacrifice our our the principles of Christianity. We're going to sacrifice our adherence to the teachings of Christ for the pursuit of political power. And that seemed to me like that's what that that was a clear decision that many of these folks were making. Uh, and whether or not the general public, the people following them, made that conscious thing, you know, kind of thought as well. It would seem clear to me that that the the so-called religious leaders of that movement at some point in time made that decision. Right. I, and I think that's uh that was it's you know there's a, I think an unending debate over, over whether something changed um in the in the Christian right movement or whether that just revealed what was always there right like whether it was never really about moral values and character it was just a good you know that was those were just kind of convenient coverings for just our you know we want to we want to win and Trump revealed that that was really hollow talk. Um, but we can actually see on surveys that 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 change. PRRI, Public Religion Research Institute, they collect survey data. Um, they showed this the best. This two two surveys, one one in 2011 and one in 2015, when Trump was already you know uh, surging ahead in the in the polls, and they asked the same question uh, at at two different times, and it was basically like you know, do you feel like um, do you feel like uh, political leaders, even after like moral failings, can still lead the country effectively or that that, that kind of thing? And, and of course, in 2011, evangelicals were the least likely to, to uh, agree with that statement. And by 2015 or 2016, when they asked that again, they were the they were the most likely to agree with that statement. They've completely flipped that. It was it was it was the only change and it changed by like 40 points. Right. Like it, it was clear that they had said, OK, that's no longer a convenient belief for us to hold. Um, so, but, and this is kind of a fascinating thing that we're finding y'all like we, and to, not to get too much into the weeds with the political science of all this, but it, it's, it is a, it is a, it a consistent finding over the last 20 years that increasingly Americans, religious beliefs and identities are downstream of their political identities and values. And so like people, in other words, people are making religious choices on the basis of their politics rather than the other way around. Now, maybe that was always the case, but this is we're seeing this more and more. Even they are adjusting their theology as a result of of what they believe, what they're seeing politically. I'll give you one example. Right before the 2020 election, so before any votes had been counted, we asked Americans whether or not they believe that God chooses the president. God elects, God appoints the president. 
And we found that evangelicals were, of course, the group that was most likely to say, yes, God appoints the president. Fast forward, this is a panel survey. So we asked the same Americans that same question four months later after the election, after Biden had been inaugurated. And evangelical Republicans, not evangelical Democrats, but evangelical Republicans dropped in their belief. It's the same group. So these same people uh, changed their opinions about God appointing the president. Uh, by like, uh, you know, 20, at least, at least 20 percentage points. So what had happened? Well, it's like their guy had lost. So they, so they're, they're literally changing their theology in light of this political reality. Like, well, it couldn't be that God change that God chooses the the president because our guy lost. And so like, certainly, you know, it's, um, and so that's just kind of a fascinating thing. I think Christian nationalism really is a, is, is, is indicative in some ways of this change that we're seeing where people's People's politics is now determining what they what they want to subscribe to religiously in ways that I feel like are really unfortunate and and uh, and harmful. Now I'm I'm really curious, and I'm uh, we're venturing off the, the 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 questions that Guy spent so much time making sure that, <laughs> Sorry uh, about that that we had. But this just every time you say something, it just opens up another door. It's like I got to go open that door and find out. So what I'm really interested in is is there and maybe it's such a small minority of uh, evangelicals that have come to the conclusion, like mm-hmm. I did, that, wait a second, we've went far afield from what we said we were about, um, that that it doesn't register, that you don't, you know, but I'm really interesting, is there is there some kind of divide that those evangelicals, and, and we see some of them, uh, uh, Beth Moore was one that uh, came out and, and did this, uh, Russell Moore. So some of these folks have, have, have said, that. Is, there, is there a generational divide? Is there an experiential divide? What is it that uh, some of those, some of us who grew up, grew up we, we grew up in these same traditions, right? Uh, we're talking about people who grew up as part of that religious right culture. Uh, and some of us have said, you guys have went somewhere that doesn't seem to comport with all the teachings that I remember in Sunday school and and the preaching that I heard in in, in church services. Uh, number one, is there a significant number of us that have have said slow the the train down? And number two, is there anything that you can divide that helps explain that divergence? Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I think there's. Uh it's difficult to, to determine which one causes, which one causes what I think people who are people who tend to be a little bit more like politically disengaged and politically moderate, um, are more likely to be of the, of the opinion that like, Hey, what I see on the Christian right is really wacky and weird and a distortion of, of, of what I feel like real Christianity is. Um, I, I would, I would like to, and I, I think there's a, there's a, a cosmopolitan, uh, uh, a cosmopolitan kind of characteristic there. Like you've got a Russell Moore who has spent time speaking outside of his, I mean, certainly I would consider Russell Moore a conservative Christian, right? And, and sure, uh, sure. Uh, Beth Moore, right? Like these are people who believe the Bible. They are not, they're, they're people who hold traditional views on uh, probably, uh, you know, certainly abortion, same-sex marriage and those kinds of things. And yet they are, they're more Tim Keller types, right? Like they're the, they're the kind that see their job as Christians to try to translate uh, Christianity to a wider audience and to, and, and, and to them witness matters, right. And they have hope that like, by being a good representation, by being a good neighbor, by being a good witness, we can win the world to our view of Christianity being the source, the reason. Uh, I would say Christian nationalism is an ideology for people who have given up on that. 
it is it is it is an ideology that I see only take root among people who said, you know what, I actually don't really care about the world anymore, right? Like I, I don't they don't deserve what we got. Like what 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 they're far they're too in other words they're too far gone. There's no winning. They hate us and we hate them. And so let's just call this what it is. We're going to have our own schools. We're going to have our own communities. We're going to have our own traditions and we're going to have our nation because we're going to take it back. And, and, and however we need to do that, we're going to we're going to insti- we're going to put judges in place so they can never vote us out. Uh, we're going to try to uh, make it, you know, like we're, you know, uh, being a Christian nationalist is the number one re- or like, you know, one of the number one predictors that you support making elections more difficult to participate in. Right, like you want to restrict voter access, those kinds of things. Why? Well, because like you don't want people to vote. It's Paul Wayrick back from like 1980. You don't want people to vote because the, your leverage in the election goes up as the voting populace goes down. Like you want people uh, to, you know, you want to have civics tests and you want to disenfranchise felons. You want to make sure that the only certain, only the worthy people can participate in this democracy. So, um, all that to say, to answer your question, I think the Christians that we see embracing Christian nationalism, in my opinion, are the ones that I think have given up on trying to convince anybody uh, with their reputation. They have they have lost a vision for something that we used to call growing up in Christian circles. We used to call this witness. Right. Like I, I, used, I, I want to value my public witness. Right. Like I, I don't want to be seen in public being a jerk because that is a bad witness. I don't want to be a bad driver. Like I don't want to go around flicking, flipping people off with a Jesus fish on my car because that reflects poorly on like Christianity, right? Like I'm a bad witness. I think people like Beth Moore and Russell Moore and David French and other, other folks, I think they still recognize that the reputations of Christians matter publicly. Uh, and, and that what, what, what Trumpism has done and Christian nationalism has done is basically admitted that we've given up on witness. Let's just fight. Um, and that's, I think, uh, you know, a position for Christians as a really, really tenuous or dubious position to be in. Yeah. When you talk about like, we're going to have our own schools, our own spaces, I want you to expand on that because you found some fascinating things about the relationship between Christian nationalism and race in your survey. Uh, by the way, before I, I let you go on that, are you familiar with um, Stephen Wolf, who came out with a book, The Case for Christian Nationalism? Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the first. So Andrew Torba, uh, who who is the you know founder of the free speech platform Cab, who's a, a notorious anti-Semite troll, uh, and Stephen Wolf, who is not a whole lot better. Uh, yes, uh, very familiar with it. Read their books very carefully and have have have, uh, have you know not interacted with them both a lot. Yeah, I wondered if you just didn't consider Wolf's book to be like Exhibit A of everything that you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, based on he's arguing for what was fascinating though is you found that there are non-whites who will score highly on this Christian nationalism metric, but they do not share all the other correlates that you found with it, right? You're, you're finding that these correlates are largely a white phenomenon. Is that right? Yeah, that's And that's why we've, in the last few years, we've tried to, to nuance this and talk about white Christian nationalism more than Christian nationalism, because we find as, as we talk about in the book, the flag and the cross, we didn't talk about this enough in taking America back for God in our in our preface to the paperback edition. We nuanced this a little bit more, but in, in the flag and the cross, we wanted to be specific that that according to the data, this is not just us trying to make it woke or to try make it sound scary. Um, it, in the data, which we show in the flag and the cross, and we've shown in a, a dozen other studies thus far, is is we find that white Americans respond to our questions about Christian nationalism completely differently 
than black Americans and often Hispanic Americans as well. For white Americans talk about Christian values, Christian nation, Christian heritage, and all of those things. It seems to evoke the idea of nostalgia and, a, and for a time when the right power, the right people were in charge and the right, you know, kind of values held sway. When black Americans read those same questions, it does not make them think about like an earlier time when the right people were in charge, the right values held sway. They think of, they seem to think of it more aspirationally. Like Christian nation is that the, like the way that Martin Luther King Jr. or Frederick Douglass would talk about a Christian nation, like the, the, the ideal that America has never lived up to that we have always, we were always supposed to be, but never were. Um, and so, and so we find that they, they behave so differently. So it, it really is not fair to talk about, um, well, black Americans who subscribe to Christian nationalism, they, you know, can't be racist, right? Like, well, actually it is very racist, but it, it, when black Americans affirm the same kinds of questions on surveys, they don't seem to same, have the same idea in mind. And that is because religious questions, religious ideas and identities are racialized. Right? You really can't talk about like American religion without understanding how it has been affected and influenced by our own racial experiences and history. Um, to talk about Christianity for a white uh, uh, American is to talk about something completely different experiential from a lot of black Americans and a lot of Hispanic Americans or, or, dis or historically disadvantaged minority groups for whom religious community has meant something different, for whom religious history has meant something different. And their religious heroes are different in their ideals in some ways. And so, um, yeah, so in our, in our studies, we find that uh, the phenomenon we're describing is, is something completely different than when, say, a, a black American uh, uses the same kind of language to say something that Mar we, you could see Martin Luther King Jr. talking about with a, a Christian nation. In the last few minutes that we have, I want to give you an opportunity to address uh, criticisms that I'm sure you've probably heard. I know uh, I've heard from different areas, uh, mainly uh, one being, you know, from people from a more conservative background. Oh, this is just uh, a, a way of, of trying to discredit conservative politics dressing it up with some some academic window dressing uh but but you're really just attacking and, and trying to say that uh if you're conservative well then you're a racist or you're conservative well you want to control everybody uh i've heard you know some people you know say well oh well if you support the second amendment you might be a christian nationalist or if you support free markets you might be a christian nationalist or you know and um and so i want to let you address that and say that that's not, I'm assuming that's not what you're saying. As I read your book, that's not the feel that I got. Uh, even, even if some of those survey questions correlate somewhat more strongly than others, that wasn't the argument you were making. Is that correct? Yeah, of course. So, uh, so um, there are, and I, I am thankful for people um, who have written books like Paul Miller. Paul Miller is a great example of somebody who I, I think Paul, Paul Miller uh, wrote a book called uh, The Religion of American Greatness, where he talks about Christian nationalism as well. And Paul and I don't agree on everything, but he is a conservative who is who is a Southern Baptist, who is who is a evangelical Christian, who also finds Christian nationalism deeply problematic for a lot of the same reasons. And so I, I very much appreciate his work. And I think, uh, of course, others like Russell Moore. Um, but we have we have tried to be very clear that, like, this is not about um, this is not about being a Republican necessarily, even though I think Republicanism is becoming uh, more like the, the Venn diagram between being a Republican, being somebody who subscribes to Christian nationalism is moving closer to a circle, right? Like there is greater and greater overlap every, every year, it seems. 
but they're they're not they don't have to be the same thing. It certainly doesn't have to be the same thing as being a conservative. But um, as you said, oftentimes we find our measures of Christian nationalism are pretty correlated with values that conservatives share. But I, I would I would try to I would try to point out that like look at the things that and I'm glad you brought up Stephen Wolf. Look at the things that Stephen Wolf is advocating in his book, right? Like where he says this is a case for Christian nationalism. Look at the things that he advocates for on Twitter in his book explicitly. He advocates for Sabbath laws, that non-Christians could not hold public office, that uh, that he would arrest people for blasphemy, that the leader, the leader of the United States should be something like a Christian prince, right? Like that, like some kind of a dictator. Like, I mean, really, like this is the kind of thing that he is describing as like Christian. If you feel like that is conservative, right, like if that is traditional conservative values, then then, then, then maybe I do, right? Like maybe if, if that's what you say is conservatism, then, then maybe I'm confused and maybe I am actually saying that they're the same thing. But if you would say that that's not real conservatism, then, then let's just agree that like Christian nationalism is something wholly different. And I'm fine with that. Uh, I think, I think where I get bothered is when, when, when conservative, when people say that like, oh, you're just talking about conservatism and it's just like, did you just hear what they were advocating for? Like, is that what conservatism means for you? Because I find that really problematic that you would, uh, that you would want to dismantle certain, certain rights that I just feel like are just synonymous with democracy or, 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 or religious liberty or those kinds of things. And so, yeah, it's not about being a conservative or Republican is, it is about something that I feel like is far, far, uh, more reactionary and radical even. So let, let me say this, like Stephen Wolf is not a conservative in the sense that if, if I would define conservatism charitably as like the preservation of traditional values and institutions, um, that is not what he is advocating for. It is something far more radical. He wants to dismantle things and rebuild and reconstruct uh, in, a, in a wholly different way. And I think that is more reactionary and radical. Now you just got me curious. What what are the what are the next threads that you're trying to pick up in this research? Uh, a couple a couple of different things. I mean, I think um, I think we are we are trying to understand. I'm trying to understand how Christian nationalism corresponds to and and shapes American polarization. Uh, that's really a project of mine leading up to the 2024 election. I I want to all of my speaking engagements. Uh, all of uh, a lot of the things that I'm writing about have to do with how Christian nationalism amplifies polarization between Americans and under what circumstances is it most uh, impactful there and what, what circumstances. And it usually is like a combination of a variety of different identities and Christian nationalism being one of those. Um, I'm also trying to understand how Christian nationalism unites Americans in multi, what I call multiracial coalitions of exclusion. So uh, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. I just explained a, a few minutes ago that that we find that black Americans and Hispanic Americans, when they affirm Christian nationalism, they usually have something completely different in mind to where there are responses on like Second Amendment, voting patterns, uh, racial inequality are completely different as Christian nationalism increases. But that's not always the case. Sometimes when black Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans and white Americans affirm Christian nationalist measures, they have exactly the same thing in mind. And it usually has to do with things like sexual morality, say like uh, transgender rights or LGBTQ, let's just say LGBTQ kind of beliefs or rights, usually having something to do with family relationship. So in that sense, Christian nationalism is not a divider like it often is on issues of racial questions, 
but Christian nationalism is a unifier is uh, into groups of multiracial, multi-ethnic, multiracial coalitions of exclusion from certain groups. And so I'm curious under what circumstances and contexts can Christian nationalism actually serve to unite racial minorities and white Americans uh, against other minorities in ways that I think preserve um, certain power majorities and certain power groups. And so I think these are all, I mean, I'm nerding out a little bit, but I think these are all questions that uh, I'm fascinated to, uh, to explore more. And one last one, I'm, I'm co-authoring with a, a group of social psychologists right now where we're doing experimental designs. And we're using, we're trying to understand how Christian nationalism works as a political strategy. So when we find that politicians make reference to the kinds of threats that Christians are experiencing, like Christianity is under threat, it's under siege, they're coming after your Christianity, you're coming after God. What do, what do Americans hear, really? Uh, and we find that oftentimes, even without saying anything about race, they often just hear racial threat. Uh, when you say Christian threat, Christians are under siege, white people hear white people are under siege because those identities overlap in really important ways. And so all of these things deserve to be explored more. And so that's where I'm, where I'm going. I'm glad you brought up psychology. I'm going to do one more. And then he, he just gave me a, a stink eye. One, I just can't let this go. Uh, I'm glad you brought up psychology. Cause I, I was just curious if any of the survey data included stuff like big five personality traits. I, I'm just I, all reading both of your books. I'm just thinking like, surely these are people that probably correlate with like high need for certainty, high need for closure, those sorts of psychological traits. I just didn't know if you had any of that data or not. Right. Not a lot of openness to experience on the, uh, on the, you know, uh, so we have not included, I, th I think, uh, somebody I want to ask this about is Paul Jupe, who's a political scientist, Denison, who is a, gr a great survey researcher, a great social scientist. I would reckon in all of the surveys he's done recently with Christian nationalism, I bet he's included big five stuff and I'd be fascinated to see what he comes up with there. I will say we have tried to, when, when we, when we talked about Christian nationalism initially, people were like, well, aren't you just talking about like right-wing authoritarianism and have you just account, you know, and, and we, we tried our best to, to, to include measures for right-wing authoritarianism to make sure that no, we're talking about something different and there's social dominance orientation that also corresponds strongly with Christian nationalism. So I, we have tried to capture Christian nationalism along with various ideological constructs and personality constructs. But the big five thing would be a fascinating thing to, to check out. I would love to see that. Our guest today has been Dr. Samuel Perry, professor of sociology at the University of Oklahoma. His two books that we've been discussing, Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States, co-authored with Andrew Whitehead, and The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism and the Threat to American Democracy, co-authored with Philip Gorski. Dr. Perry, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Listening to Curiosity Porn with the two best intellectual pole dancers in the United States, Dr. Guy Crane and Professor James Davenport. If you'd like to share a comment about today's episode, suggest a guest or topic, or just leave a compliment or complaint, you can reach us at CURPRN at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you. As we wrap up, Possibilities would like to give a special thank you to this episode's sponsor, MidFirst Bank, paving the way for creative expression in our community. Their commitment to our vision allows us to continue to have these conversations. We are grateful for your continued support, MidFirst Bank.